Today's episode is brought to you by No Boring Design. Wow, what a name. No, we know this team well. We've brought them in to help with a number of engagements when design becomes a bottleneck for shipping campaigns quickly. Uh, also when design is boring, right? A lot of B2B status quo becomes boring and it doesn't have to be. So we bring this team in, they level up the quality design and they remove design as a bottleneck to ship campaigns, content, product marketing assets, you name it. If it needs a design and you're hung up on it, this team can help. Um, somehow they managed to do this. I think their price point starting out is 2,500 a month. Uh, obviously goes up from there, but what a great resource. We've seen them firsthand do great work with Dropbox, Yelp, a number of our big clients they've been a part of. So check them out, noboringdesign.com, noboringdesign.com. Welcome to season three of Best in SaaS, where we talk through patterns and playbooks in the revenue sprint to 100 million in ARR and beyond with the industry's most accomplished executives, entrepreneurs, and investors. Season three is brought to you by Chargebee. Chargebee helps SaaS businesses of all sizes maximize their growth potential and revenue with a leading global subscription management platform that delivers fast time to value plus exceptional service and support. Learn more at chargebee.com. Well, let's get into it. Cool. I'm really amped. Today's episode is going to be special. There's so much for us to talk about, but welcome to the, to the show, Anthony Kanata. Thank you so much. Appreciate having me on. Yeah. So, I mean, for those who don't know, probably at this point, everyone does, uh, your background, you were on the early founding team CMO at Gainsight. Uh, you were at Front as their CMO, and now you just recently joined Hopin as their yeah. CMO. That's, That's right. I mean, what what a wild journey already. This is, uh, <laughs> I feel like you're just you're just getting started and you're already at the top. Uh, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, so I feel like we're going to, I feel like we're going to make people earn it because there's a lot of fun stuff uh, that you haven't talked about before that we'll get to later in the show. Um, what's, I mean, it, what's the pressure like having been at the very top of these organizations that are some of the fastest growing in the industry. Like, can you describe to me and everyone listening, what it is like to manage expectations, both for yourself and for, you know, these, the boards and other executives you're working yeah. with in these businesses. Yeah, totally. So, you know, I think across the board, um, you know, each of these companies are built by ambitious people. And so whether it's the founder, whether it's the board, um, that ambition, perhaps relative to the market opportunity. Um, so these companies are chasing, you know, different sizes of markets, different personas, those types of things. So it's it, it varies a bit, but um, in in general, I think there sure there is pressure um, because you you know you got a number to hit, you've got a goal to deliver, and then marketing. A lot of that is measurable, and a lot of it is the the feeling that you have to try to manufacture and create and um, you know, it's, it's something that, uh, I don't know. I, I, it drives me. Like, I like it. I, I like idea of creating something out of nothing. I like the idea of dreaming up something really big and not only leaving that idea on the whiteboard, but engineering a way to actually make it happen. Um, so I'd say that while the pressure size, some, I, 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 I'm tend to be drawn to that. If there's area, if there's companies like I'd be really bad in a lifestyle 
brand or lifestyle company or um that that wouldn't you know, i think i think the pace of that would would be tougher for me so um it's been high but it, it's it's not viewed to me as like a negative thing i guess it's viewed as a um it's part of my drive Amazing. And so, I mean, Hopin, you, you're joining, you've been there a couple months now, right? Month and a half. Month and a half. Wow. Right. <laughs> you're, you're like in your ramp. And That's right. this business, as everyone listening already knows, like probably the best tailwind story, yeah. you know, in COVID era business scaling generally. And I know you're allowed to talk numbers. So like paint the picture. <laughs> Let's start yeah. there. Well, shoot. I mean, I, 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 we were, we were chatting earlier. I don't know that I've ever worked at a company that talks about ARR publicly, but, uh, this, this company has, and I don't know if we'll do it forever, but, um, I guess, I guess we would in the public markets, but, um, the story is just really profound because the company didn't exist like 15 months ago, 16 months ago. <laughs> um, what happened was our founder, um, had been traveling and, uh, in Southeast Asia and, unfortunately developed an autoimmune disease. And as part of that, uh, when he went and got back home, he had to stay at home and recover and not make, you know, watch his diet and not interact with a lot of folks kind of external. It's all before COVID. And so he created um, Hopin out of a need to go to these founder events and these entrepreneur events that were so part of a lot of our lifestyles, right? A lot of our professional development community is like engaging with some of these folks um, in our extended circles. And he wasn't able to do that anymore. So he built the product as a way to make events more accessible and inclusive for those that can't go or for those, whether it's a family responsibility, whether it's a health issue, whether they can't afford to go, whatever the case is. And so that was the core thesis. And then COVID happened. Um, and there were, I think, 10 of them at the company. Um, and the product wasn't ready. It was in, not even in private beta. There was a waiting list on the page. And there was this moment where the waiting list just like, just like went crazy. And there was like, Hey, I've got a 3000 per conference happening in two weeks. It just got canceled. I need something. I need to give my community thing. And so they had this moment where they were like, we can either keep going and charting the course we have been going for pre-revenue. There's 10 of us, or we can open up the floodgates and see what happens. Like try to catch this wave. And again, of course, no one, you know, COVID is a terrible thing and, and we're all, you know, united by it, but, there's, there's this opportunity to serve uh, this industry and communities and, and um, brand builders and all these folks that had to find a solution. So they decided to do it. Um, and 15 months later now, uh, no, not even, is that about 15 months? No, not even, sorry. 13 months later, since March, when, when uh, they opened it up, uh, we went from that pre-revenue uh, days to 80 million of ARR. Um, zero, 10 people at the company. It's over 500 people. Uh, we've made three acquisitions, raised, gosh, I don't even know, north of 500 million of, of funding. Um, so pace is pretty crazy. And speed is a, like, I thought, I thought speed was a thing at every company, right? But this is, this is pretty insane. Um, so yeah, going back to expectations and pressure and all that, it's, it's, it's definitely high, but uh, we, we got a very ambitious founder, very ambitious executive team and, and set of uh, investors. Uh, so uh, at this point, I think we're just trying to literally make history and, and, and reinvent how people engage with their communities, how brands are built. And, and um, that's sort of the, the mission that we're on. 
I'm laughing to myself because as, as someone who's been in that early journey and founded a company, I know you go through, you go through this phase, maybe not universally, but I think it's a pretty shared experience that a lot of early stage folks have where, you know, you're in that, you're in this state of delusion. You have to be in a state of delusion in order to be jazzed and keep moving one foot in front of the other before you, yeah. you know, like pre-revenue and all of your friends and family, you know, best case scenario, they're like, yeah, you can do it. You know, like, oh, blah, blah, blah is working on their cute little company. And like, hopefully it works. Right. And right. <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine going from that to 80 million in ARR in 13 yeah. months and now 500 people. That's, that's pretty special. Um, so, crazy. I mean, it makes sense then you've written, a, you wrote the book on category creation, literally. Mm -hmm. um, so it makes sense for you to be this CMO to step in to this particular business at this time. So how do you view in, in a business where I'd imagine even just like standard demand gen, standard growth stuff is kind of somewhat out the window because of the tailwinds. How do you view capturing the opportunity? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's a funny anecdote for the, for the listeners that we're still implementing Marketo. Right. So it's early days. It's still like zero to one on demand capture and demand creation, right? While also having that tailwind. So I share that because I've, I think of that and I'm like, gosh, the opportunity, we still haven't started yet. Like we haven't started even building demand. We haven't started our, our content marketing strategy. Like paid is just like pretty new. So we're, we've been really focused on fulfilling demand and building a great product that can, you know, is trusted by some of the biggest brands in the world. Um, but I think we can grow even faster than this uh, if, if if we get everything else going outbound, right? All, all the other kind of core parts of, of marketing. So um, I think the big opportunity for us is Hopin is known today as an events company. And that's obviously where we, what we spent the year really, really focused on. We've also acquired a few businesses. So we acquired a company called uh, StreamYard, which basically powers streaming technology. So you know, if we're doing this this podcast, we could be streaming live right now to YouTube and you know LinkedIn and all these different places all at the same time, and having like some live production elements to make it look like you know a TV show or whatever. Um, about twenty percent of StreamYard users use it for events, but eighty percent are like makeup bloggers or influencers or creators, right? This whole kind of creator economy type of thing. Um, and so a very different market than just events. And then we call it a company called Streamable, which is like um, in the same space as uh, Vimeo or Wistia there. It's a video hosting effectively. So now you can you know, store your, you don't have to just push your content to YouTube. You can actually store it on your own properties. Um, and you know, there, there's several other companies that we're, we're looking at as well. And so the, the big category creation challenge in front of us is to change the perception of Hopin as being an events company to being something more, something bigger. Um, and we're trying to figure out what that is. Um, but one of the things that I think ties all these things together is um, we are effectively using video as a way to help brands uh, expand their audience and engage their communities in ways they never had before. If we were doing this in-person event right now in Denver, you know, we can get as many people there as we can, you know, from, from your mailing list, from your community, from your network, from investors, like to, to come be there. Um, now we're doing it on, on a podcast, you know, we're doing it on, on video. 
we can get the whole world to watch this. So from a brand kind of activation perspective, brand engagement perspective is much bigger. Um, so we think there actually aren't a lot of um, companies in the marketplace that are fighting for brand people to say, we're building the operating system for you um, that helps reinvent kind of shared experiences for your brand and help you kind of expand your community. Um, and so we're playing with, with language around that and doing a lot of research to understand um, if events and community and video and all these types of things are streaming, um, are uh, together kind of building a new stack for brand teams and marketers to really build and connect to their community. All right. So before we get on to the second half of this episode, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our close friends over at Mattermade. For those of you who don't know them, Mattermade helps some of the fastest growing B2B SaaS companies drive revenue as an extension of their marketing teams. We're talking companies like Dropbox, Calm, Loom, Product Board, and many others who trust Mattermade to help them drive their marketing and demand gen initiatives. You can check out their seemingly endless supply of case studies over at mattermade.co. Now let's get back to the episode. I love it. So, you know, uh, I've come into so many fast growing, call it series A through series C plus companies. And, and, uh, but when I say fast growing, it's, it's nowhere on the orders of magnitude of what you're experiencing right now. And uh, even still, orders of magnitude, less growth, it's really challenging. It can be very challenging to get a group of talented people to focus on one goal, row in the same direction and be effective, right? Like that in yeah. itself is a big challenge. So I'm really curious in the environment you're in right now, how are you approaching that challenge? <laughs> I mean, this is like the, the most existential question because I don't know, <laughs> right? We're trying to figure it out. Um, yeah. We're looking at like, and I'm talking to other CMOs of multi-product companies and trying to get a sense of how they built this before. And we're trying to honestly like build Salesforce or Google, but all in 24 months. So what do I mean, what do I mean by that? Salesforce was sales cloud for years, right? Yeah. It was CRM. And then they bought exact target or Pardot or whatever. And then years later that became marketing cloud and they brought on the marketers that they acquired from those companies. That was like the seed that became that department. And then eventually commerce cloud and so on and so forth. And they became this multi-product company, Google, very similar, right? Um, we're starting from the ground up from a multi-product perspective. And so we're, we're trying to figure out like, is it one marketing team? Is it four marketing teams? Is it like one demand leader and four kind of, you know, product special product owners? How do we work with sales from that perspective? So it's a lot of pretty hard questions and it comes back to focus of like, well, what we want to do is make sure that each of these products get the, all of our attention. Um, and we're able to focus all of our energy in all of them. And, and that's obviously very hard to do, but I think what I'm really excited about is we're, you know, well-capitalized. So I think we can do that. Um, so I've been here for a month and a half and I've hired seven people, two of which are VPs in five weeks, um, six weeks. Um, so there's like, you know, uh, there's, there's, there's a tailwind internally to go and hire and build you know, and I think we've got the, the funding to go do it. Um, so that's sort of the, 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 both the challenge ahead is how do we design the, the organization around this, but also I think a, a huge opportunity for us to say, well, I think if we do this, we can, I think we can, we have what it takes to do it really well. Where do you think, where do you think the market is going 
I mean, this is obviously a rapidly evolving space and the future of the product and the way that it, and the context in which it sits in, in industry is going to continue to evolve. Yeah. How are you thinking about that? Yeah. So I think we learned a lot from the pandemic. Um, all of, by the way, I'm the first to admit, all of us want to get back in person. All of us want to reconnect <laughs> and, and get out of our home offices or whatever, if, if that'll ever happen. Um, but the point is we want to re-engage with society and try to get back to some type of norm- normalcy. Um, but I do think it's not going to be the same because we've learned a lot. Um, I don't have to be on a Southwest flight to San Francisco every week anymore. I can be here with my family and be just as productive. Um, so we as individual employees and workers, and you know, we, we've learned a lot the way we want to work. But I think event producers and, uh, and demand generators and brand marketers have learned a lot about um, how to do these types of events. So one of the learnings is virtual events actually kind of work. They work if you're able to do it in a way that you invest in the experience and you're able to really like make it more than just you know a, a, a Zoom call, right? Like like spend a lot a lot of time to make it entertaining and connecting uh, and connect the audience with great content. And, um, so I think we're we're seeing that people want to keep virtual events as a core part of the stack moving forward. It may not replace virtual uh, their, your in person event, but it will certainly be a big part of your event program every year. They're cheaper to run, relatively speaking. Um, and you're able to extend your reach far beyond your, your in-person event, like we talked about earlier. Um, so that's one con- contribution to that. Second is internal events. Like we're all going to be working from home or hybrid flexing and trying to figure that out. And if you've ever been on a Zoom call with more than 10 people, you're like, okay, this is breaking, right? There's no interaction here. And so how do we do workshops? How do we do all hands? How do we do those types of things? That's a big kind of opportunity for, for the company moving forward. Um, Second piece is um, the third piece is when we do get back together in person, we we now realize the power of this digital layer and how it's a lot easier with tools like Hopin to bring the best of the event online um, and again broaden your audience, get more ROI out of your event program, sell a digital ticket. And to me, I look at the sports industry that figured this out a long time ago. You know, we might you know meet up for a Nuggets game or whatever you know down in, in Denver and and we're putting the jerseys on, we're surrounded by our, our fellow fans and uh, um, we're there for an experience. So we can be in the 30th row. We don't care like we're having a great time, but that doesn't mean that the millions of people that are watching the game from home aren't having a great time either, right? Or they aren't able to, to connect with the audience, but they have this digital first experience that's created and curated for them. And so they get better than front row seats. They get sideline reporting, they get backstage or you know locker room interviews. And that's something that I think event producers are thinking about. So we're calling this hybrid events today, but there's probably a much better name for it in the future. I think it's just events, like the way events will happen moving on. Um, and it's the last thing that I'll say is like webinars. Like webinars get a bad rep because they suck. Um, <laughs> there's, it's, yep. there's no great webinar. People don't like doing webinars, but they do them because they generate some, some leads and it's important to do them. So what if you can turn webinars into experiences and make them a bit more interactive and not so, you know, can't see any of the panelists and you're just, you know, reading off a PowerPoint note and, and you're off and running. Like, so I think Hopin's got a, a place and this is by the way, just the events business, not to mention the streaming industry and all that sort of stuff, but people want to take the learnings from the pandemic, bringing into this new world um, and be able to build their community and engage with their community in a digital way. Um, and we hope to be kind of at, at the heart of that. So uh, as we wrap up, I'd love to 
take make take this a little bit more uh, down a path, a personal path. So I knowing you, I know that you uh, recently, kind of recently, had some yeah. health stuff happen. Can we talk about that? Yeah, totally. Um, I think this is, you know, uh, talk about learnings for the pandemic. This has been, you know, 18 months, two years of a lot of life learning for me. Um, so, I, you know, I'm 34 now, but the day after my, my 33rd birthday, I wasn't feeling well. Uh, I thought I had like food poisoning or something, but um, I ended up going to the, the emergency room. And when they were doing a triage on me, they, um, they found that I actually had a heart arrhythmia. Um, so it's called uh, atrial fibrillation. AFib is, is kind of the, the shorthand for it. Um, and for those that are listening, AFib is, is very common in like the elderly population. <laughs> um, I think it's like sub 2% of people under like 60 or 80 or something like even have this thing for whatever reason I had it. Um, and, you know, I had this sort of like traumatic experience trying to figure out and rationalize what's going on. And I couldn't get my heart back into rhythm. And so the way they're actually treat this, if they can't get your heart back in rhythm is to like literally shock your heart, like reset your heart back into, into rhythm. And I was like about to go into that procedure. And I think I like scared myself out of it or something. And I went back, went back into rhythm. It was really weird. Um, but since then I I've sort of been dealing with like a lot of the mental health aspect of that, where, um, you know, there's something that ends up being progressive over time. Like I'm fine, like right now, you know, and people live with it and all that, but, and there's ways to mitigate it, but it's like something that could happen at any moment. And so you're going to be like, just totally fine. And all of a sudden you're like, okay, now my heart's racing, what's going on. Um, and so like the stress of that has been something that I've, I've had to sort of give up control a little bit. Um, and then, um, you know, I stopped drinking, which has been crazy. I stopped uh, drinking coffee, which is probably crazier for me, for those that know me. Um, you know, I've really had to like make a lot of lifestyle changes as well to, to, to do it. So why am I sharing this? Um, you know, I think the, this thought of like resetting our heart, resetting our mind is something that I've been just really thinking a lot about because as this was happening, I was, you know, working hard and, you know, we're in this like hustle mentality and we all want to crush it and all that sort of thing. Um, and I think there's a, I don't think this is correlated to why I got it, but you know, I think there, we push ourselves quite a bit physically as entrepreneurs and founders and execs and all that. And we talked a lot already about like high expectations and ambition and these types of things. Um, but we, we forget sometimes that we're, we're mortal as well. And you know, that there's more to work than the more to life, than just our work, even though work is an important part of it. Um, and so this idea of like resetting my heart is something that, uh, again, I think is, is on the physical side, uh, scary, but on the, you know, illustrative, the, the metaphor of that, I think is, is quite profound. And so I'm, as I think about coming out of the pandemic myself and, and re-engaging, you know, the world, I think, uh, it's just been, been something that I, I don't want to go back into the world, uh, and into my working life in a way that I don't have that perspective that I had now. And it sucks that it was a bad lesson to learn, but it was, I think, uh, um, you know, a lesson well, well learned now that I've, I've uh, made it to the other side of it. You have uh, thank you for sharing that. I think it's yeah. important. I think it's really important and something that isn't talked about all the time. You know, it's easy for folks to just kind of grit and hustle on, but yeah. uh, I, I do think it's, it's, key when we can talk openly about this kind of stuff. What, what are the things that you do, whether it's like a, a mental cue or 
just hobbies of yours that help you find that balance that help yeah. you make that reset? What do you enjoy? Hobby question. I really want a good answer for I have two little kids at home. So I just like chase That's them around. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately <laughs> it's like working that, um, I do need a better answer for that. Honestly, my, um, man, I've tried to just be a little more intentional. Like I've, I've really valued, uh, my mornings. So before I jump into email, um, so Hopin's a European company. And so our founders in Barcelona, a lot of folks in the East coast, I'm here, you know, mountain slash West coast. So, um, when I wake up, Slack's just going off and email's <laughs> just insane, you know? And so the knowing that my email is like waiting for me is such a big stressor. And uh, I used to be the guy that I hate saying this, but would be in bed, like waking up by just like scrolling and deleting from my phone. Right. Yeah. Um, and so uh, what I've tried to do is to start each morning intentionally. So for me, that's trying to go on a walk, trying to, you know, take in a little bit of you know, the sun coming up in the morning, like fresh air, um, you know, meditation, prayer, whatever, to, to really kind of focus more on the present and to sort of present uh, and kind of get rooted in that um, versus just like letting the day take over my life and getting, letting my calendar dictate my life. Like what a horrible thing. We all, we all deal with this. So it's not just me, but like that, I found that by doing so, I, I'm able to honestly like unlock more creativity and more energy and more excitement for um, just a better perspective on work and my relationships at work by just trying to do that. And, and some days are harder than others. You might have a 6 a.m. start and you're like, well, better luck tomorrow. But I think keeping on trying to find stillness and peace in a chaotic career path that we're all in, um, it takes some... Um, take some boundary setting, but I think it, I think it's great when we can do it. It's amazing how that stillness thing, I, I think there's a real there, there. I, I, I've had a personal experience with this recently where, you know, this, the, the skiing season this year has been total crap, mm. but I've managed to get out a couple of times. And each time, you know, it's an hour ish, hour and a half drive to the mountain. Each time I've probably taken a page worth of voice memos on my phone as I'm oh, driving wow. just in that like negative space or yeah. negative, you know, just blank space. Um, and, and those like each one of those has led to these huge growth spurts or like really cool initiatives yeah. uh, just out of the silence. And I, I was joking with my chief of staff the other day. I said, you know, I think I need to book time to go for drives totally. just to drive aimlessly at for sure. agenda. <laughs> for sure. I think so. We're so hyper-connected, right? We've got notifications going off on our watch, on our phones, on our laptops. Like it's it's insane. I know a lot's been written about this, but you know, I think the idea of disconnection or solitude or silence, all this stuff, like I think we just miss it as people. Like we just, at least for the last what, 15, 20 years, like we just haven't made that a priority. Yeah. So I, I agree. I totally agree. So uh, last question as we wrap it up. Who are some folks who have been influential in your path thus far? Yeah. Uh, the first one that I th always comes to mind first, and I, I deeply mean it, is uh, Nick Meta, who has been on the show, Gainsight CEO. Um, I met Nick on Craigslist when I was at Box <laughs> because I was applying for a, a job, any job in LA. Uh, yeah. I literally wrote SAS in Los Angeles and back in 2009, like, three things came up. Um, now, thank God, many, many more would. Um, and Nick was on the other end of one of those looking for a BD manager. And then he would later bring me on as the first marketer at Gainsight. Um, so he's the kind of guy that just, you know, 
took a chance on, on me and literally started my career basically, uh, for it. Um, and I think the maybe a story that isn't often told with Nick and I, cause I think we have, we have a fairly, fairly public bromance at this point, um, <laughs> is our uh, Craigslist relationship, a Craigslist relationship turned lifelong bromance. Um, he, uh, you know, I came in as a head of marketing, but that, as we all know, that's like, you know, on the back end that reads like director or senior manager, but you know, on the front end publicly, it's a head of, yeah. I told him, Hey, I, I want the job. Like I want, this was, you know, a month into the job back in 2013, I want to be the CMO of this company. And I don't know at the time, whether he thought I was crazy or just like he knew it, it likely wouldn't happen, but he said, look, I I'm down to over communicate with you, but you need to promise me one thing that, um, I gotta be able to give you feedback and, and, you got to be ready to receive that feedback. Like, is that something you want? Um, and he put it up to me. He said, you know, the answer could be no, and that's fine. And I told him, no, I want to know things before they even pop. Like if you have an idea that pops in your head or a thought before that becomes an opinion or a judgment or whatever, I want to know so we can talk about it. And so I think that's really what helped us cement our relationship. We built a lot of trust that way. Um, and over time, you know, I made it all the way through to, to CMO um, we spent seven years together building Gainsight. Um, and he continues to be just like a great friend and mentor. So I think the big lesson there is like for all of us, there's the most important part of this is the relationships that we make. Um, you know, there's there, there's relationships that stand that go with you throughout your whole career. Um, so putting a, a premium on maintaining those relationships and forming them, I think is something that uh um you know is really important. I mean, I, I've learned a lot about a lot from. Amazing, Anthony. Well, hey, this was a really fun conversation. I appreciate your your the authenticity and just like real real talk you brought. So, Thanks for having me. Appreciate yeah. it. Thank you.